0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible's opened up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'll invite you to be finding that passage in your Bible as well. We'll be reading a lot in the Bible. We'll be in a number of different places. But 2 Timothy, the third chapter, is where we're going to launch from. And really, it will undergird and provide the foundation for everything that we're going to talk about over the course of these next few minutes. As you're turning there and as you're getting settled in for this part of our worship, I'll join in with the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody This morning our congregation is terribly afflicted right now with the sick bug and with the travel bug and I'll be glad when this time of the year is over with and we can have the full complement of our number back together once again. Uh, but I'm glad that you're here today, glad that you're feeling well, and glad that you did not go out of town. Thank you for being here, for uh, this opportunity that we have to encourage each other and to worship God and to be involved in the things that are uh, of a spiritual nature, the things that will help us to prepare for that day when He comes in glory by and by. Well, 12 months ago, I stood in this very spot, and I announced to you the preaching theme for 2019 on growing and increasing where once a month at least I would spend some time talking about various aspects of the subject of spiritual growth. And I've enjoyed very much having the opportunity to talk about and kind of explore spiritual growth from a number of different angles. We haven't covered every possible angle, but we have covered a lot of ground over the course of the last 12 months. We've talked about growing and developing more in certain areas of our lives. Growing in our service in the church. Growing in our faithfulness in worship. Growing in gratitude. We've talked about growing in our relationships in our family as husbands and wives. Growing in our as parents as we try to lead our kids to the Lord, helping them to grow in the direction of the Lord. We've talked about growing in our relationships to one another in the body of Christ. We've talked about how certain things hinder and stun our growth and we've talked about how other things help our growth. Even unexpected things can help our growth like evangelism helps us to grow. Trials help us to grow. We've talked about growth on a personal and individual level. We've talked about growth as it pertains to a collective on the church collective level. This morning, I'm going to try to tie all of that together and bring all of it to a conclusion. But I do need you to know that this will not be the last time that I preach on growth and various aspects of growth. I've got a bunch of other ideas for growth sermons. I needed to just fit the ones that I could in this year. We'll talk about growth again as time goes on. And really, even this morning's sermon, as we bring this series to a conclusion, in many ways, it's not a conclusion. In many ways, this morning, this is just a beginning as I want to talk about some things that will help to facilitate even more growth, specifically as we're about to begin a brand new year. And so read with me, if you will, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is verses 16 and 17. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul writes there, "...all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness." that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What's the one thing that you could do that would really ramp up your spiritual growth? If there was one activity, one item, one tool that you wanted to make absolutely sure was in your arsenal so that you could grow spiritually, what would that one thing be? What is the most important tool for bringing about growth and spiritual maturity. Now, before you answer that, I want to make clear that there are actually a number of different things that come into play, that are brought together, that factor in and contribute to making us who and what we are as the disciples of Jesus Christ. There's lots of things that come together to bring about growth. There's things like the providence of God, the local church, prayer, the grace and mercy of the Lord, all kinds of things come together and help us to grow. I want you to understand that. But if I were to go looking for that one thing that's going to help to bring together all of those other vital resources for growth, then I'm probably going to choose that one thing, that tool that Paul recommends to his young brother Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And what is it? Verse 16... It's the Scriptures. Paul says that Scripture, the Word of God, will make you, verse 17, it'll make you complete. Your translation may use the word perfect, whole, mature, thoroughly equipped. In plain terms, the Bible, the Bible makes Christians grow. When we read, and when we study, and when we immerse ourselves in the living Word of God, then this book has the power to make us everything that God expects us to be. We need to read this book. And the truth of the matter is, there has never been a time in history when it has been easier to do that than right now. We have the Bible today, think about it, in so many different forms. You can choose what translation of the Bible you want to read, what color of cover you want to read. Mine's getting pretty worn out. I need to pick a new color. You can pick the size of font that you want for your Bible to be. We live in a country as well that affords us a great amount of liberty and freedom to own a Bible, to read a Bible. We can do that publicly. We can do that freely without the fear of being arrested. You don't have to be reading your Bible and be worried and fretting all Somebody's going to take my Bible and throw it on a pile and they're going to burn it. No. In fact, you don't even have to own a paper Bible. We live in a time where you can actually walk around with a digital Bible on your tablet or on your smartphone, which means that for many of us, on most occasions, we're walking around with a copy of the Bible in our pocket at all times. That's amazing. And so with all of the advantages that we have available to us, we really ought to be the most bible reading folks in the history of this world, right? And yet all too often, Bible reading is a struggle, isn't it? Every study that's done, every survey that is done, they all show the same thing. And that is that Christians and people who profess faith in the Lord. All Christians pretty much say unanimously that yes, the Bible is important. That's about 100% across the board. The Bible is important. But then when it comes to actually reading the Bible, eh, that's a different story. One recent survey that I found actually reported that only 16% of Christians said that they read the Bible on a daily basis. 16%? 16%? That's, that's really low. Now, I'm sure that that survey included lots of folks from denominational backgrounds and people who profess faith in Christ and really they're not even Christians in the first place. But still, if I asked everybody in this room right now to raise your hand, if you opened up and read your Bible every day in the past seven days, I imagine that's probably going to be pretty embarrassing for a lot of us, myself included. Now, why is that? If we believe what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, that the Bible can make us that complete, mature disciple that God wants us to be, then why are we not more devoted to the reading of God's Word? Why are we not more committed to that in our regular day-to-day lives? Well, this morning, I've got no tricks up my sleeves. I'll let you look. There's no tricks up my sleeves. My purpose and my intent this morning is simple and it is clear. I want to compel all of us, myself included, to ignite or maybe to reignite a passion for a regular daily reading of God's Word. And the way that I want to do that is just by leaning on this theme of growing and increasing one more time. Because I want to share with you three ways that you will grow If you will commit yourself to regular, consistent, yes, I'll say it, daily Bible reading. And as a bonus at the end, I'm even going to offer you a resource that I think can help to aid in becoming daily Bible readers. Are you ready for that? Three ways that Bible reading can generate and garner spiritual growth in our lives. And I want to start that in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 9. Would you find Jeremiah the ninth chapter, please? In Jeremiah chapter 9, we find here what I believe ought to be the main driving force, the primary purpose for why we read and study the Bible. In Jeremiah chapter 9, this is verse 23. There the Lord says, Jeremiah 9 verse 23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast in his might, And let not the rich man boast in his riches, verse 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. I'm going to suggest to you that the number one reason that we want to read our Bibles regularly is so that we can, verse 24, know God. So that we can understand God. So that we can grow close to God. This book, the Bible... It is the primary avenue by which we establish a relationship with God. It's the primary avenue by which we build and deepen and strengthen a relationship with God. When that passage speaks there of understanding and knowing God. In fact, in most places in the Bible, when it speaks of knowing God, that's relationship language. It's talking about having a relationship with the lord and from time to time you'll hear people talking those sorts of terms about having a relationship with god people will say hey do you have a personal relationship with jesus christ sometimes even we will use language i'll use language like are you in a right relationship with the lord well what does that mean what does that mean to be in a relationship with god well what does it mean to be in a relationship with anyone to be in a relationship with your spouse To be in a relationship with your kids. To be in a relationship with your friends. What does that mean? What that means is that you care about that person. It means that you are interested in what they are interested in. It means that you have a concern for that person and for their welfare. It means that you have some understanding about what they like, what they don't like. You have an understanding about what they will do and what they won't do. It means that you are close to that individual, or you're always trying to be close to that individual. You're always seeking to put their interest even ahead of your own. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that a relationship with God is no different. We want to know God in that way. I want to be close to God. I want to know what He approves of. I want to know what He disapproves of. I want to know what He likes and what He dislikes. I want to know what He stands for, what He delights in, what exactly makes Him tick. Because in the end, what I want to do is I want to please God. Isn't that what we want to do with the people that we are close with? We want to please them. We want to make them happy. And the only way that we're ever going to cultivate that kind of close relationship with the Creator of the universe is through this book. This book that is described as His Word to us. Look in Psalm 19, please. In Psalm 19, in this beautiful psalm that I think really does speak to the idea of knowing God. In Psalm 19, look at verse 1. In Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge." This passage tells us that God does indeed reveal Himself to humanity through nature, through the creation that is around us. There are some things that you can learn about God by simply observing nature. Just walk outside, take a look in the sky, take a look at the created world around you, and you'll learn some things about God. You'll learn some things about how God is hes powerful. You'll learn some things about the majesty of God when you see just a beautiful sunrise or sunset. You'll learn some things about the creativity of God, even the wisdom of God. If you look at the human body, you can't help but marvel at the wisdom of God, how He put all of that together. Creation is exhibit A, pointing to the fact that there is a grand designer. But I would tell you this this morning. You can never know God fully and completely By simply looking at and observing creation. For example, you're never going to know about God's love and how He sent His Son to die for you because He loved you that much. You're never going to learn that by going and looking at the Grand Canyon. As amazing as the Grand Canyon is, you're never going to learn that about the Lord. You're never going to appreciate the, the, the manifold just wisdom and awesomeness of God's great plan for your salvation, for my salvation, that unfolded over centuries of time. You're never going to learn and know about that by sitting on a stump watching the sunset. You'll learn some things about God that way, but you're never going to learn that about God. Nature does reveal some things about the Lord, but it doesn't reveal everything. And that is why the 19th Psalm doesn't stop by just talking about how God reveals Himself through nature. Drop down in Psalm 19, look in verse 7. It is the law of the Lord that is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord, it's sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 9, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. The greatest revelation of God, the fullest revelation of God, of His mind and of His nature and of His character and of His personality is what? It is His written Word. And it is His Word that enables us to know Him, to grow close to Him, personally, intimately, and deeply. We are not reading the Bible just so we can gather up a bunch of facts and information about God. You'll get lots of facts and information about God in the Bible, but that's not the primary reason that we read the Bible. Honestly, think about, think about this relationship idea. Think about in this relationship with your spouse, for example. Is it enough for me to just know Tiffany's date of birth and social security number and her blood type? But What is your blood type? I don't even know your blood type, so I, I guess I've got some learning that I need to do here. But is it enough for me to just know that information and that's going to be the basis of a strong, healthy, thriving relationship? Is that what makes us close together? No, it is not. It's when we spend time with one another. It's when we share common interests. It's when we show and demonstrate care for one another. That's the substance of a close relationship. Knowing some data, that's a good start. But the more we start digging beneath that surface, scratching a little deeper, then the deeper and better that relationship becomes. And that's really what makes the Bible so amazing when we think about how it's a tool that causes us to, to grow in our relationship to the Lord. Because the Bible is so neat that once we feel like we've got God all figured out, we come to realize that there's so much more to discover, especially as we progress and grow throughout our lives and we reach new levels of maturity in our own lives. I mean, there's just things about God that I know and understand now and I could not have known 20 years ago. And I can't wait to see if the Lord allows me to live another 20 years. How much better and deeper I'll know Him then. The Bible, there's so many depths to plumb, so much to learn. And so as we spend time with God in His Word, we are coming to know Him better and better each and every day. In fact, can I use another relationship term? We've been talking here about this idea of knowing God. But what about another relationship term that we use quite often? What about the term love? What does Jesus say is the first and greatest commandment in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let me give you a news flash. You can't love that which you do not know. Does that make sense? You can't love that which you do not know, which means you cannot truly love God without reading His Word. You can say you love God, you can profess to know God, but if you don't read His Word, the very thing that helps you to know God and grow in your love for Him, then you can't say that you love God. When we come to realize that reading the Bible, at its core, it is designed, I think this is the primary purpose that God gives us His Word. It is to draw us closer to Him. Then it's really just amazing how the Bible just kind of, just ends up just extinguishing all of the excuses that we use for not reading our Bible as we should. Think, for example, about that most common excuse. I hear it all the time. I've used it myself, and it's that excuse of, I just don't have time. I just don't have time to do that. I'm so busy. Got so much going on at work. It's the holidays. Got so much going on with family. Got so many activities on the on the docket. I mean, I'm just too busy to read the Bible. What? What? You're too busy for a relationship with God, really? Are we really ready to say that? I'm too busy for a relationship with my Creator. Try that sometime with your wife. You know, honey, I haven't spoken to you in three weeks, but you know, I'm so busy. How, how strong is that marriage going to be? Try that with your kids. Hey, kids, I, I can really only give you about 40 or 45 minutes twice a week because I'm so busy. How strong is that relationship going to be? not going to be a very strong relationship at all with your kids. Truth of the matter is, sometimes, sometimes we have a stronger relationship with the Kentucky Wildcats basketball team. Or we have a stronger relationship with our Facebook account. Or we have a stronger relationship with CSI, you know, whatever television show we're watching. We have a much stronger relationship there than we do with having a strong relationship that's being cultivated with the Lord through His Word. Whatever happened to Matthew 6.33? Seek first the kingdom of God. The disciple who is seeking first the kingdom of God, they're going to prioritize spending time with the Lord because that's the relationship that matters the very most. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, please. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm always impressed when you read 1 and 2 Timothy just how frequently and regularly Paul gives instructions to Timothy about the relationship that he has with the Scriptures, with the Word, because that has direct implications on Timothy's relationship with God Himself. In 2 Timothy 2, for example, look in verse 15. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of truth. I like that idea in the middle of the verse about the approval of God. How do you receive the approval of God? I want that, don't you? I want God to approve of me. I want God to to accept me. I want Him to be proud of me and be happy with me and delight in me. How do you get that? Paul says that you gain the approval of God by being a diligent worker in the Word, in the truth. God is proud of people who will invest the time and the energy to know Him through His Word. And that's what we need to be. We need to be 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 people where the Bible is bringing us into closer and closer and closer fellowship with our Creator because we are giving diligence to the reading and to the study of His book. I believe this is the main motivation that we need for reading the Bible and so we can grow our relationship with the Lord. Secondly, though, whenever we commit ourselves to regular and consistent Bible reading, that causes us to grow in another way. That causes us to grow in self-discipline. Would you look in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter? In 1 Corinthians 9, there Paul extols the virtue of self-discipline. And he even uses himself as, a, as an example of self-discipline. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul's been talking here about having a willingness to make some sacrifices. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 9, beginning of verse 24, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Now they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. I'll use the illustration here of of elite athletes. You think of the Olympic athlete and how they want so much to be victorious. They picture and they dream about in their mind, maybe even since they were little kids, that glorious moment of standing up on that podium And receiving that gold medal or receiving that trophy or whatever that prize may be. And they think about it so much and they desire that so much that they're willing to, they're willing to take some extreme measures. They're willing to give up certain things. They're willing to put in the hard time and the hard work and the hard hours. They're willing to be inconvenienced and to be discomforted at times. They're willing to establish completely new and different routines from the rest of everybody else. They're willing to do that all for the sake receiving that prize and what paul says here is paul says if people are willing to demonstrate that kind of discipline for an earthly prize something that's just going to you know eventually wither away or it's going to rust then what should we be willing to do for a heavenly prize how much should we be willing to discipline ourselves self-discipline it is not easy but it is so necessary to our walk with the Lord. And the Bible just says that over and over again. Would you look in Proverbs, for example? In Proverbs chapter 25, listen to the wise man here. In Proverbs chapter 25, there at the very end of the chapter, in Proverbs 25, this is verse 28. Proverbs 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That speaks kind of to the negative effects of not having self-discipline. What about on the flip side of that? What about the positive side? Well, look in 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, when I started this series back in January, this was the passage we began with. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter speaks about the positive nature of having self-discipline. In 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 5, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness, godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we read passages like these and we see, okay... I know that I need self-discipline. I see in these verses and a host of others that that is an essential part of a Christian's character. I must be self-disciplined. But the question is, how do we get that? It's real easy to stand up and preach about how you need to be self-controlled. You need to be self-disciplined. And then just expect everybody to just go home and just do that. Well, how do you get that? How do you develop strong self-discipline? Well, I'm going to suggest to you But I believe the key to self-discipline is practice. Practice, practice, practice in small things. That is, when we establish habits and routines and disciplines in small areas of life, that then equips us and that prepares us to then have self-discipline in bigger things, in bigger areas of life. And that is why this morning I am recommending to you that you read your Bible every day because because that's a small thing. Honestly now, it is a very small thing. Setting aside 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day to read the Bible, that is easy. That is doable. That is a small thing that I am persuaded all of us can do. Even those of you that are very, very busy, got a lot on your plate, I don't care. I think all of us can squeeze aside those few minutes every day to read the Bible. We're not talking about some huge, ginormous thing that we're not gonna really feel like we're prepared to do. We're not talking about being an elder in the church. We're not talking about standing up to persecution when a gun's held in your head. No! We're talking about something that I think is just pretty elementary here. Where you sit down. You just open up the Bible and you let God speak to you through His book for a few minutes each day. Now I realize even as I say that, that yes, that does require a little bit of effort, doesn't it? It doesn't just happen on its own. You have to actually find the time to sit down and do that. Gotta figure out, alright, am I a morning person and read my Bible in the morning? Maybe I'm an evening person, maybe I'm a middle of the day person, I gotta figure that out i got to make sure that I try to shut off all the distractions as much as possible. I'm going to get my phone pushed over here, turn the television off, try to quiet other people down. I realize that that takes having to focus our minds on the things that I'm reading so I can get the most out of that. That takes some effort. But would you look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16? In Luke chapter 16, Jesus reminds us that putting forth that little bit of effort, that it's actually very, very worth it. In Luke 16, look in verse 10. In Luke 16 and in verse 10, if we're telling the parable of the, the unjust steward, Jesus says in verse 10, He says, The one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If we can be faithful in this little thing, reading the Bible for a few minutes each day, then that will help to build the self-discipline in our lives so that we can be faithful in Bigger things. Be disciplined in bigger areas of life, yes. Absolutely yes. And so if you will read your Bible every day in the year 2020, when you get to the end of December, what you're going to see, if you're using one of those Bible reading schedules, you're going to see all those check marks for all those days of the year. And what you're going to come to realize is what? You're going to come to realize, I did that. I was able to do that. I made myself, at the beginning of the year, I made myself an appointment with God. And I stuck with it. I had enough discipline to keep that appointment. I was able to log off of Facebook. I was able to turn off the ball game. I took the time that was necessary to interact with my Lord in His book. I was able to do that. And I was able to sacrifice what maybe was more fun over here and I was able to kind of shut off and to put down and, and kind of push to the side all these other things that are vying for my attention, I was able to do the thing that was most important. I have some self-discipline. I can do what matters the very most. Bible reading, I believe, is the kind of thing that helps to put our foot on that path to having even greater self-discipline. In many ways, I kind of like in Bible reading, I think I've used this illustration in years past, Bible reading is like brushing your teeth. Brushing your teeth is not a huge thing. It's a small thing. Takes a couple minutes a day. Little kids can do it. Brushing your teeth, it's just not that big of a thing. But you know what? If you don't brush your teeth, bad stuff's going to happen. It may not happen immediately and instantly, but over time, over time you're going to suffer the consequences of that. In the same way, Bible reading, it's not huge. It's a small thing. But if you'll commit to doing it regularly, or if, let me say, if you'll not do it regularly, then your spiritual life is going to suffer. Your soul is going to suffer. But if, on the other hand, you commit that I am going to do this regularly, then one of the benefits, of the many benefits, is that you are going to grow in self-discipline. And I want you to see that even if you are reading a passage of Scripture that doesn't make any sense to you, you don't understand a bit of what you're reading, Even if you're reading a passage where I just really can't see the personal application of that. I'm just not really getting a whole lot out of that for me. I'm not not sure what the takeaway is for me. Even if you read those verses and you don't get anything out of it, if nothing else, you still read it, didn't you? You still put forth the effort and you made the time to read. You were self-disciplined. You still got that benefit from it, even if you didn't get anything else from it. That's building self-discipline. And I find that to be just an incredible blessing. And It is a blessing that we will find is helpful and needful for us in every other facet of our lives because we're always going to need self-discipline in order to be the kind of disciple that the Lord wants us to be. Which brings us into this third and final benefit and blessing of things that happen, ways in which we grow when we commit to reading the Bible regularly. And that is thirdly, we'll end up growing in our patience our perseverance, our stick If you're going to have the discipline to read God's Word regularly and consistently, then you're going to need at least a little bit of patience when you come into this. And if you stick with it, what's going to happen on the other end of it is you're going to end up with a whole lot more patience. I wrote in the bulletin about 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning. Would you find that passage with me, please, in 2 Peter chapter 3? There the apostle says these words at the end of 2 Peter chapter 3. This is verse 18. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, Peter says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I want you to see that in the imagery of growing, there is the idea of slow processes. Peter does not say, Be like lightning in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's not what he said. Peter instead says, grow. The implication is, this is something that takes time. Nobody goes and plants blueberries one afternoon and then expects they're going to have blueberries in their cereal the next morning. That's not the way that that works. That's not how growth works. In fact, we've already talked about how earlier this year, that that's not the way that growth is going to happen. We're going to need to be patient with ourselves. Because growth is the result of steady, consistent, measured steps over time. And if the Bible is a tool for spiritual growth, and it is, then it'll take patience, it'll take time to read it and to learn it and to understand it as we come to know God steadily and slowly over the process of time. Now granted, there may be moments in our lives, there are moments when we're reading and studying the Bible, where we have kind of those those big lightning rod moments. Where we have kind of a huge leap in our spiritual development. Just things are clicking and we're getting it, and man, we make kind of a huge jump in the in the growth process and a huge jump in where we are in the scriptures. But generally speaking, growth is more akin to the tortoise than it is to the hare. Which means that there will be many days when you will read your Bible and it will not be the most amazing moment of your life. It will not be life changing where the heavens open up and the angels are singing and the voice of God thunders from above. There's going to be lots of days where it's not going to be like that. But I'm going to say to you that over time, as you continue to read the Bible in a determined and dogged pursuit, that that steadfastness, that endurance, that patience, it'll make a huge difference in your relationship with the Lord. And there's lots of passages in the Bible that speak about the patience that accompanies Bible reading. Look in Deuteronomy, please. In Deuteronomy 17, I want you to think about what's said here in Deuteronomy. There's instructions and directions that are given for a king. Moses tells Israel, one day you're going to want a king. And when you set that king up, here's something he's going to have to do. In Deuteronomy 17, look in verse 18. Deuteronomy 17, 18. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom... That king shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest and it shall be with him and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Would you look at verse 18 there? The king didn't just have to read the Scriptures. The king had to actually write a copy of the Scriptures For himself. My question is, how long did that take? Can you imagine having to sit down and just write and copy the entire Bible? I know for kings back then, they wouldn't have had the entire Bible revealed to them at that time. But whatever amount they had revealed to them at that point, that's a lot of writing. And then there's the reading on top of that. I imagine that's going to call for a great deal of patience and perseverance. Look at the book of Ezra, please. In Ezra, I believe Ezra... He's one of the most underheralded Bible heroes. Because his entire life is just ordered and it is set by what is written in this verse. In Ezra seven, look in verse ten. In Ezra seven, verse ten, it said there that Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. There's nothing fast about Ezra seven, verse ten. I believe what's being described there is a lifetime commitment. This is slow and steady progress that requires extraordinary patience. This is like going to school. No one goes to school for three days and then they're done. PhD, thank you, I've got all that I need. It's not the way that that works. That's not how school functions. Over years, years of regular, consistent, concerted effort. A student is able to develop a well-rounded view of mathematics and literature and history and science and all the other subjects that need, to, that need to be mastered. But it takes lots of time and it takes lots of effort. And a student who's missing all the time, who maybe shows up to school for a couple days and then they're gone for like a week and then they show up for a day and then they're gone for three or four more days and they're missing way more than they're coming, I mean, come on, that, that that isn't going to work. That child's never going to get to where that child's going to be dumber than a post. That child's not going to be educated. In the same way, slow and steady progress. That's what we'll need with the scriptures. And if we'll not give up, if we'll not cave in, and yeah, there'll be days where we're going to miss. Those things are going to happen, and' going to cause us to misread in the Bible. But if we'll determine that we're not going to give up, I'm not going to allow that to just throw me off completely. We'll get right back into it. If we'll have the discipline. To stick with it each and every day, then we'll come to know the Lord. And in the process, we'll find that we have grown in more ways than one because we've allowed God to work in us through His powerful book, His inspired Word. Now, I promised a bonus here at the end, and I'll cash in on that right now. One of the things that I have found seems to hinder. Bible reading from being a regular fixture in people's lives is when we don't have some kind of a plan of attack. You know, the Bible is a, is a huge and ginormous book. And if we don't have some kind of a planned and systematic approach, then very quickly what can happen is, is we can get overwhelmed, we can get discouraged, and we can just pitch in the towel. And so that is why for the seventh consecutive year here, I am pleased to introduce a reading plan that we as a congregation can and have the opportunity to engage in together and we can read together as we work together in the Scriptures throughout this coming year. This year's reading plan is entitled, The Story of Scripture. And what makes this reading plan unique is that it chronicles the narrative, the story of the portions of Scripture that are Story, the parts that are where there's action, where there's drama, where stuff is happening. And I want to be clear, when I say story, I don't mean that these are made-up stories, that these are fictional in any sort of way. No, these are true stories. These stories involve real people who lived in real places, who had relationship and interacted with a real God. And while there certainly is a place for us to take time to read the doctrine that's in Scripture or to read the poetry that's contained in Scripture or to read the law that's contained in Scripture, or to read those genealogies in Scripture, and that is important. There's good things that can be gleaned from that. I preached on a genealogy just last Sunday. All Scripture's profitable, Paul says. But I understand also that it is very easy for us to get bogged down in some of those sections of the Bible. And as a result, we end up losing sight of that one main story that the Bible contains. And you do know that the Bible has a unifying story, don't you? It is the story of how God is weaving and stitching throughout time His plan for man's salvation through the sending of His Son Jesus. And so this year we'll just be reading all of those little small episodes that combine together, they end up comprising that one big overarching story, Which means, for example, that this first week, week number one, we'll read Genesis chapter one, two, three, four. And then we'll jump to Genesis chapter 6. Some of you may be wondering, well, why aren't we reading Genesis chapter 5? Genesis chapter 5, you're skipping a chapter in the Bible. Well, Genesis chapter 5 is one of those big, long genealogies. And if you want to read Genesis chapter 5, have at it. Read it. All, read all you want. Read Chronicles. Read all those genealogies. You can read, I don't want to hinder anybody from reading something in the Bible that they want to read. But for our purposes and what we want to accomplish with this particular reading plan, is we want to just follow that story. And that story picks up in Genesis chapter 6 and continues on from there. And so you'll notice there'll be passages that we're skipping and we'll read sections of a chapter and not read an entire chapter. And as has been the case in previous years, you will notice that this is a five-day schedule that allows for maybe a little bit of makeup time if something does come up. Or maybe we decide we want to read something else, something different on those off days of the week. Maybe you'll even, I've done this in times past, Maybe you'll kind of order and arrange your reading to kind of coincide with our assembly times. I would do my five-day readings on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday because I knew on Wednesdays and Sundays I was going to be reading the Bible in here with the folks in here. So there's some flexibility there in how you organize those readings. Also, not only does that have flexibility, but I think this reading schedule has some doability because most days we'll simply read, we'll simply read just one chapter. Now, you may have noticed if you've looked a little bit ahead, when we get over here into the New Testament, the last few weeks of the year, we're going to start doubling up on some chapters. When we read the story of Jesus and we're reading about, uh, in the book of Acts, we'll read two or three chapters on some occasions. But for most of the years, it's just it's just one chapter. One chapter of the Bible. Something you can get accomplished in about 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day. In fact, on Friday, here of week week one, we're only going to read eight verses. I mean, How long is that going to take? Two or three minutes at the most, tops, even if you're a really slow reader. You can do that. That's a very doable sort of thing. In addition to the reading schedule itself, I have plans to integrate, once again, the reading schedule into the Lakeside app. I'm hoping to get that done this afternoon in between services so that that will be accessible to you, even if you don't have this carrying around with you. You can have If you've got your phone with you, you've got the app on there, you'll have the reading schedule. You can read God's Word at any time. Sitting in the doctor's office, sitting at the dealership waiting... Pull that out. I do do my Bible reading today. On top of that, the back page of the bulletin will be devoted once again to be kind of the reader's companion for that week's reading. Just some notes and some insights and kind of some high points, maybe even some thought questions that will help assist you as you read along in that particular week. And then lastly, this year, I do plan to do several sermons that are in conjunction with the reading plan. Now, I didn't do that in 2019 as we were doing this topical reading plan. It was kind of hard to kind of look ahead and see where was what and schedule some things. But since I know where we're going from Genesis on through the book of Acts, I've been able to look ahead and I've already got about a half dozen sermons kind of plotted on the calendar where I want to preach on that. That story's got some things in it I want to talk about and I want to preach on that. A couple of times actually in the last couple of months I gave Cody a sermon title to put out on the sign outside and then he noticed that I had changed it and he asked why I changed it. Well, I realized I could use that next year to go along with the reading plans. So I've got some stuff stockpiled up and I want to do that to try to encourage you to stick with the reading and be involved in the things that we're doing as we read together in God's Word. Now I say this every year and I'm going to say it again this year. No one here is obligated to use this reading plan. I am hoping that you will use this reading plan because a lot of time and a lot of ink has went in to creating these reading plans. But no one is required to use this schedule. I do think, however, that there are some benefits to us all using the same reading plan. That provides accountability. Amongst us, That provides hopefully some encouragement. Maybe we're talking about the things that we are reading together. Those are things that we can help each other to be more devoted in reading the Bible. But if you choose not to pick up one of these little trifold brochures as you leave today, I'm not going to get mad at you. I'm not going to think of you as being less than a Christian. However, if you do choose this morning not to appropriate the truths that we presented just a few moments ago, if you choose not to appropriate those truths into your life and choose to become a regular, diligent reader of God's Word, then I will be incredibly disappointed. And more importantly, God will be disappointed. And maybe even more importantly than that, you will deprive yourself of the wonderful benefits and opportunities that you have right before you to grow. And that's not just Josh McKibben's verdict. That's an apostle's verdict. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 2, there the Apostle Peter says, as newborn babes, you ought to desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. I do believe that there are many things that come together and factor together to help us grow spiritually. But I also believe that it is the Bible, the Word of God, that serves as the catalyst to bringing all those other things into the mix that helps us to grow. That is why we must be determined to read this book, to study this book, to understand this book, and ultimately to live this book so that we can grow thereby and we can be complete. Now, as we extend the invitation of the Lord, if you're not a Christian... Man, you you really need to spend some time in the Bible. You need to understand some things that the Bible reveals to us. How, first of all, that you are a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans says. And once you come to that understanding, as the Bible reveals that to you, then hopefully you're going to come to want to find out, well, how do I rectify that? How can those sins be taken care of? How can I be in that right relationship with God? And as you open the Bible and as you study what you'll find, is that God has indeed provided a very simple and wonderful plan in order for you to be saved. And it does begin by hearing, knowing, learning some things about God, about His Son, by believing that Jesus is His Son, by confessing that before others, by repenting, turning away from sin and turning to the Lord, and then by being baptized, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, that unites you with Christ. It puts you in Him, puts you in God's family, You can rise out of that water to have your sins knowing that they're all washed away. You've been cleansed. You've been made whole. You've been made pure. You are now a Christian. From that point forward, it's simply just a matter of reading and studying and growing and all the things that God has provided to facilitate that growth. Can we help you to begin, begin that journey and become a Christian this morning? Brother or sister, if you're not living right, if you take the time this year to sit down and read your Bible knowing that you're not living right, On more than one occasion, you will find yourself going, ouch. Oh, that stings. That hurts. Because the Bible will rebuke you. The Bible will reprove you. The Bible will exhort you and it will admonish you to change. And right now, we're making that same admonition for you to repent if there's sin in your life. Stop, Stop it. Stop doing whatever it is that you're doing that's out of harmony with God and His will. Start serving the Lord in a better way. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you so that we can all go to heaven when this life is over. Whatever your need may be this morning, we want you to know that this invitation is open to you and you're amongst people who care about you and want to assist you. And if we can do that, do that by coming to the front right now while we stand and while we sing.